0: Om Bhadram Karnevi Shrinuyama Deva Bhadram Paśye Mākṣa Bhīrya Jatrāha Sthirai Rangai Tuṣṭu Vāguṁ Sastanubhihi Vyashema Deva Hitenya Swastina Indro Vridha Swastina pusha Viṣva Swastina Stārkṣo Arishtanemi Swasti no om we are studying the fourth chapter of the mandukya uh, karika of gaudapada and uh, we were on the 24th verse i think we had done the 24th verse so what's the story till now? Let me put it in. <coughs> Let me put it in brief. In a, it'll give you the plot, just the, the essence of the plot the, before we go get into the actual context. So what's going on here? Um, consider our common sense view of the world. We think that there are things in the world, a world full of objects and people, and then we come and see them. We see and hear and smell and taste and touch. So this is going on and there are things outside. There are things independent of our knowing them. Even if we do not see them, even if we don't know them, this world is there. This is called in philosophy realism. And now the realist is asking this question that uh, he is saying that there is a world outside our uh, awareness. As opposed to this, there is this philosophy, this, this approach which says that no whatever you are experiencing all the people and all the things that you are experiencing is only in your mind in your awareness notice indistinguishably using mind and awareness this will be the key later on so in our mind or awareness whatever you call it this whole world is in your mind and there is in one sense there is no way no denying that it's in our mind without before coming to our mind we cannot see anything everything all the information through the senses has to come to the mind and then only we experience it, that's true. Uh, but the difference between the realist and the idealist is this, the realist says there are things in the world which our senses perceive and the information is brought to the mind. So there are independently existing things in the world and that's a very common sense way, that's that's how we really look at the world, uh, It's science and uh, our day-to-day activities all go on that way. The idealist says something amazing, says that There is no proof of anything existing outside the mind. In the mind only everything is going on. This is called idealism. And uh, the discussion is about this. Now let me bring it to the context. Um, In the context of Indian philosophy, there were realists and there were idealists. Um, The Nayayikas and Vaisheshikas among the Hindus were realists. Among the Buddhist schools, there are four schools of Buddhism. Two were realists, one was an idealist. So the four schools of Buddhist philosophy, I have mentioned them earlier, um, Sautrantika, Vaibhashika, uh, the Vigyanavada, Yogachara vijñanavada and Shunyavada, Madhyamaka Shunyavada. What are the differences? As A lot of differences, but as far as we are concerned, this realism and idealism difference by the way, here idealism and realism does not mean in the common sense way, we th- realism means a very realistic person who is very practical and hard-headed and, and efficient in day-to-day activities. He is realistic, not in that sense. Realism is a ph- philosophical position that things exist outside our knowledge by themselves. And idealism here does not mean the way we normally use idealism, the word in English, a very idealistic person, person who has got very noble ideas and you know ideals in life, not in that sense. Idealism means all the things that we perceive are in our ideas only. Alright, among the Buddhists, Sautrantika, Vaibhashika, they were realists. What did they say as far as we are concerned for this discussion? The um, Sautrantika said that uh, things are there in the world outside and we directly perceive. So what you are perceiving is the thing itself. So when you see a flower or a painting, you are seeing the thing itself directly. Uh, whether you see, smell, taste, touch, directly the objects are being experienced. Um, corresponding to this, is, um, in modern philosophy there is a position called Naive Realism. Then there is the second, this, uh, the Vaibha, uh, Vaibhashika. They say that no, you do not perceive things directly. There are things in the world outside and they come into your mind by your sense organs and then you perceive them. But there are things outside. Your senses are bringing information from them and what you are perceiving is in your mind, no doubt about it, but they are copies, representations uh, of things outside in the world. Corresponding to this, there is a position in modern philosophy called uh, critical realism or representative realism, representative realism. In fact, modern uh, medical science and physiology would agree with this position. That all that you are experiencing is definitely internal, but it is um, uh, caused by external uh, objects. And the Vigyanavadi, Yoga is this is called a subjective idealist, who criticizes this position and saying that all that you experience is in the mind, true, but there is nothing outside the mind. Mind is the only reality like a dream for example. And then the last one, the Shunyavadi who is not directly discussed here, we will just mention him later on. That is another position um, uh, where it says not only external objects do not exist, but the internal, the mind also does not exist. They are externally Shunyam and internally also Shunyam, Sarvam Shunyam. So corresponding to this in modern philosophy, there is nothing. In corresponding to this, there is no modern philosophical school quite like the Shunyavadi. It is a very deep and sophisticated uh, philosophy, very close to Advaita actually. Alright, so this is the background. I have set up the uh, frame. And what was the discussion? We entered the story in the middle. If you remember, Um, the subjective idealist had said nothing is there outside the mind. And then the realist, which realist here? Uh, it is the Buddhist realist, Sautranthi Kavai Bhashika. They come in and they protest against the Buddhist idealist. Why is this going on? Remember, here Gautapada is refuting other, other philosophies, apart from Advaita. But remember his unique way of refutation, Gautapada's unique way of refutation is not that he will take up a challenger and then discuss it directly with. He takes up say the realist and then he finds out the idealist and uses the idealist to refute the realist. The idealist and realist are always fighting. So, each has arguments against the other. He will use their arguments to refute each other. Then, Whoever is re- remaining, he will go and refute that person. So, in that in that way, uh, Advaita remains as the victor. Uh, he sets up the battle between opponents and then finally uh, finishes off the survivor. So, what he is doing here is the common sense approach, the realist approach is, he is taking as an example the Buddhist sautrantika vaibhashika and against that he is playing of another Buddhist, the uh, Vijnanavadi. And the vijnanavadi we will see we defeats the realist, the I- Buddhist subjective idealist defeats the Buddhist realist and then that bu- bu- uh, subjective idealist is now targeted by Gaudapada himself and so and that is and, uh, refuted. Now in this po- at this point the realist, uh, Buddhist realist is attacking the Buddhist idealist. What is the attack? You say that only everything exists in the mind, not possible because the awareness is just awareness without external causes to give variety. How are the varieties of our experiences taking place? In your awareness, you see a flower, you smell the fragrance, you touch the softness of the petals, Uh, you see the colour of the flower and the shape of the flower. All multiple perceptions, multiple sensory perceptions, unless there is something outside which is causing the perception of color and fragrance and touch, Uh, how will all these varieties come in consciousness itself, which is homogeneous? consciousness is no variety, where is variety coming unless there is something outside causing nimitta, causing these, these changes to come in consciousness. So, by the very fact that you have changes in consciousness, which you cannot deny, all of us have a variety of experiences, you cannot deny it then i have to explain how are we having all these experiences if there is nothing outside consciousness so there must be something outside dvayaha he says dualist a second entity must be ad- admitted outside consciousness not only that second example he second reason he gave for the existence of something apart from consciousness is see pain some ex- some important or powerful experiences which we have pain physical mental pain Consciousness is consciousness. Awareness is just there. Why suddenly such a powerful shock comes? Unless there is a body and the finger body touches fire and there is a burning and then you experience so much pain. Unless those things are there, where this suddenly this powerful experience of pain comes? He says, pain, intense pain. Especially, they are, these are Buddhists. Huh? So they are discussing and they are whole philosophy starts from the existence of pain and how to overcome pain. So the very existence of pain shows that there must be something outside the awareness which causes pain in the awareness. Okay, What is the answer given by the who? Subjective idealist, Vigyanavadi. Remember, we are now or Gaudapada is now using the Vigyanavadi. So he says, Vigyanavadi, please reply to this person. What is the answer? Objection: External objects must be there. Answer: No, they are not there. Why not? Verse number twenty-five. Pragyapti sanimitatvam isyate yukti darshanat. Nimittasya nimittatvam isyate bhuta darshanat. This is the answer for. Um, the realist. Let me read out the English meaning. So, some people have entered the waiting rooms of joined. it seems. Uh, yes,
1: ma'am, they are having some issue
0: connecting. Oh, okay, okay. Or well, they are coming in and out, uh, joining or out, uh, falling, dropping in and out, yeah. All right. So, this is number 25. What is being said here? reply of the subjective idealist Vijnanavadi. In accord with the perception of its cause, knowledge is supposed to be based on external objects, but from the standpoint of reality it is held that the external cause is no cause. Hold on to this phrase, from the standpoint of reality, from the standpoint of reality. What is he saying here? He is saying, my friend You are saying external objects, there is something real outside your awareness, which is causing your experiences. Yes, hold on to that that position. Hold on firmly to that position. Uh, Who is saying? Vigyanawadi. Why? Because I am going to, in cricket term, I am going to smash the ball out of the field now. That uh, you, you say that there is an external object. Shankaracharya explains this in his commentary. Re- you remember that this text is a three layered text. At the core is Mandukya Upanishad and then around it is the layer of Mandukya Karika and on that there is the layer of the Commentary by Shankaracharya. So, now I am going to the Commentary by Shankaracharya, where he says, Sure, I agree. Your logic sounds irrefutable that because of, um, um, you know, there must be some cause for different kinds of cognitions. Dvaya Samkleshavalabdi Yukti darshanat the duality which you have said, second thing must exist, or pain, because of pain you say that there are other things which are external, some real external thing is there. That's what you are saying, Be steady in your in your uh, objection, hold on to it. Yukti darshanam. Then the opponent says. Bruhi, Kimtatiti. Yeah, I'm saying that. So what? What's your answer? It's a very American way of saying it. Yeah, so? Then I say, yeah, so what? Shankaracharya says, Uchyate, I'm telling you. He says that um, we do not accept that the variety of experiences in consciousness are caused by real external thing. Why? On what basis are you rejecting this? Bhūta Darshanāt, from the standpoint of reality. What standpoint of reality? He says, what reality? Paramārtha Darshanāt iti Paramārtha, from the standpoint of absolute reality. What is the standpoint of absolute reality? Consider this whole thing from the perspective of Turiya. That consciousness in which waker Vekar and waker's universe arise and disappear, the dreamer and dreamer's universe arise and disappear, the deep sleeper and the potential di- uh, universe of Sushupti so, arises and again passes away. That one fundamental underlying consciousness running in and through. And then he, uh, he says, when you see that there is something external and you analyze it, it is exactly like this example of a pot. Uh, he says, Ghato yathabhuta mridrupa darshane. Standpoint of reality, when you look at this pot from standpoint of clay. We have done this again and again, pot from standpoint of clay means, when you examine the pot from standpoint of clay means, you see it is clay, inside, outside, uh, top, bottom, uh, the whole thing is clay, where is the pot, when you say that there is a real pot, and then you analyze from point of view of clay, no real pot, We say at least the clay is there, an example clay is there, but if you go further, clay itself is nothing other than prithivitattva, the earth, earth element, and you go further back, that will again be ultimately resolved back into Maya and Maya is nothing but Atman or Brahman. So, in in consciousness alone, whatever these external objects you are talking about, which is giving rise to a series of experiences for you. Each of those objects when you analyze, how will you analyze? Bhuta Darshanath from the standpoint of reality, from the standpoint of Turiya. You will find none of them exist apart from Turiya. They appear in consciousness. Not a bit of it is anything other than consciousness, and they disappear in consciousness. Uh, they are appearances, and they are names and forms and use. Nama, Rupa, Vyavahara. What is a pot ap- apart from clay? Other than clay, what remains of a pot? The name, name pot is different from name clay. So the pot is a unique name. It has a unique form, pot form and it has unique use, you can put water in it which you cannot do for clay. So, name, form and use belong to pot and the reality belongs to clay. At this point you may still argue, the realist may argue, well at least a little bit of reality remains to the pot because the name is uh, there, the uh, form is there uh, and the use is there, but again do the analysis from the point of reality, from the point of clay. What is the form of the pot apart from the clay? Will the form of the pot remain apart from the clay? No. Will you be able to use the use of the unique use of the pot? You can put water or milk inside. Will you be able to do it without the clay? No. And if the use and the name have uh, use and the form have gone. Then what did the name the pot name? What does it refer to? Nothing. It's an empty empty word. So. We see that name, form and use have no reality of their own. Oh, no. Similarly, so the pot does not exist apart from the clay. From clay darshana, from the standpoint of clay, there is no external reality apart from the clay called pot. And he says, um, <speaking in foreign language> this is Shankaracharya. <speaking in foreign language> There is no pot. When you take a standpoint of the clay, from that perspective, there is no nothing called pot apart from the clay. Yatha ashwa mahisha, he says, just as, for example, uh, a buffalo and a horse are different. A buffalo and a horse are different. In that way, you cannot say pot and clay are different. I'll repeat that. When you say buffalo and horse are different, two things. Similarly, pot and clay are two things. No, no, no. They, you cannot say that. Apart from the clay, no second thing called pot is there. Apart from, so so what? Buffalo, horse, pot, clay, what does it do to us? Apart from Turiya, there is no external object, no external world. The external world of the waker, which you call the real world outside, that appears, exists and disappears, appears uh, and uh, plays around and disappears in Turiya itself. There is no possibility of its existence outside. Um, He gives some more examples. Your cloth, your shirt, can it exist without the the, uh, threads? So, the thread is the reality of your cloth, your shirt. Apart from the thread, what is the shirt? It's a name shirt. It's a form. It's a particular use. And none of them have any meaning, any existence apart from the thread. And he goes further. So thread, thread exists, Shankaracharya says, He says, the threads themselves, if you look at them, they are composed of fibres. Apart from the fibres, the thread has no existence, it is just a name, a form and a use. And he's just giving us an indication, you go further and further, you will go, come back to consciousness. Everything that you Apparently it seems to be outside you And and affecting you And causing different experiences But whatever you are experiencing outside Man, woman, good, bad Pain, pleasant Nice things um, Internally Happiness, sadness, understanding Memory, loss of memory All of that These have no existence Apart from that consciousness They are consciousness alone It is consciousness experiencing consciousness this very idea that I am an individual being with a mind and sense organs experiencing other people and other things, this is samsara. Uh, and why should you abandon this? Because bhuta darshanat, take the standpoint of reality. From the standpoint of reality, this is not true. Even right now, it is not true. If you abandon the standpoint of reality, uh, then you are in samsara, in maya. Maya is that that point of Maya point of reality and you can take Brahman point of reality or standpoint of reality. Bhutra Darshanath means standpoint of reality. Um, and he says, Iti evam Uttara Uttara Bhutra pratyaya nirodhat." Uttar Uttara. Go deeper and deeper and deeper in this analysis. Till up to cognitions and words disappear. Where will cognitions and words disappear? In pure consciousness. That you cannot name, it is beyond names and it is beyond objectifying. So, all objectifying tendencies and all naming tendencies will ultimately disappear. What will remain? Not nothing, and the reality will remain that you, the Turiya. So, other than this, nimittam upalabha mahi nahi, there is no external object uh, which is causing us these things. This is so, this is the analysis from the perspective of. Uh, standpoint of reality, standpoint of Turiya. Uh, he gives further examples. Uh, so, when you analyze the. Uh, suppose somebody says, Hey, I see a snake. There is a snake. That is why I am seeing a snake. Will you say, There is a snake. That is why I am seeing a snake? Or will you say, It is a snake rope example. That snake which you saw, it is a delusion of your mind. There is no snake outside. Your argument, there is a snake. Why is he saying what is the argument here? Your argument, oh dualist, or oh realist. Your argument is like the person who mistakenly saw a snake, and then he's arguing, no, there is a snake because I see the snake. Without the snake outside, how am I getting snake cognition? By error, he goes further. Branti Darshana, error. Um, he says, Nahi Sushupta Samahita Mukta Very beautiful point. He says, in deep sleep, in deep sleep, when the mind is not functioning, no external world is seen. In samadhi, when the mind is in deepest possible focus or absorption, the highest meditative state, no external world is seen. And in mukta, jivan mukta. Who is eyes open and ears open also claims, by seeing everything, claims that there is no no external reality. Because what I am seeing, that enlightened person knows, it is nothing other than I, the Turiya. I am appearing in all these ways. And I am tasting myself, enjoying myself in all these ways. In the case of a person in deep sleep, in the case of a person in samadhi, in the case of the enlightened being, no external world, second external object is is seen. Um, So... Then he gives an example of a crazy person. So, a person who is hallucinating. Uh, who was that mathematician? A beautiful mind. Um, uh, what's his name? Arrow. Nash. No, Nash, Nash. John Nash. 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 John Nash. Nash. Yeah. So, John Nash is saying that um, I am being followed by uh, agents of an enemy country. And he claims they are there. Why are they there? Because I see them. Because I see them. That is why they are there. They are there outside. That is why I am getting this experience of being followed by enemy agents. And then other people he hallucinated. Now nobody else is seeing them. Though uh, those who are not schizophrenics, they are not seeing it. They are not seeing such things. Therefore, even without their existing He can still see without the external existence of the object that person is seeing. It is no uh, and you will not accept John Nash's uh, testimony that there are external uh, uh, things which I am seeing because they are not there. Similarly, it is quite possible, entirely possible, this is entire universe that we are experiencing and which is giving us so many variety of experiences in consciousness which we are having all of us. It can happen without the external existence of these things. You see, this is fantastic. And fantastic, and I say, this is crazy. Sounds like some science fiction, um, you know, virtual reality, something you are saying. Is it at all possible? Does does such a thing ever happen? It happens every day to all of us, and we admit it also. Dream, yes, dream. Gaurabhava's favorite example. In dream we see people, we talk to them, we go to places, we have pleasant and unpleasant experiences and we have internal experiences also. Thoughts, feelings, memories in dream, Ah. perceptions, judgments in dream. All of which when we wake up we say there was no second thing there apart from me, the dreamer. Here also it can be directly with great clarity experienced apart from you, the thurium, the one awareness this enormous variety is not really out there. In Vavaharika transactional level, fictional level you can say it is out there, but it is not really out there. Recognize that and be centered in that that one awareness. So, that is what his uh, reply is to the, this is actually Vijnanabadi's reply to the Satrantika Vaibhashika. Then he goes further. Uh, completes the uh, attack on the realist, 26. So, hold on to the questions. Many people have raised qu- and qu- and, uh, questions. So, hold on to that. Let me finish this section. I will come to the question. Chittam nasaṃ spriśatyarthaṃ nārtha bhāsaṃ tathayvaca abhu tohi nārtha 26, continuing the same attack, the answer is given by the subjective idealist, he continues to give the answer. Consciousness has no contact with objects, so also it has certainly no contact with appearances of objects. For according to these reasons, an object has no existence and an illusory object is not separate from the awareness. So, therefore, consciousness has no contact with the objects, in what sense? In the same sense if I say clay has no contact with pot, contact means what? contact is a relationship, see these two things are in contact, contact is a relationship, what is the relationship requires two terms. So, one finger is in contact with another finger, it requires two, but you cannot say The clay is in contact with the pot because the pot is not a second thing apart from the clay. Two words are creating a kind of uh, uh, you know illusion in our mind. Oh, clay is there, pot is there, they are in contact. No. If I say the water is in contact with the wave, no. Because the wave and water are one reality, two things are needed for contact. Here, the dualist is saying that, my consciousness comes in contact with so many external objects, I see the flower, I smell the coffee, I drive the car, I talk with my friend, flower, coffee, car, friend, they are all external objects, that is why I am getting so many different experience. What experience? Experience of flower, experience of car, experience of coffee, experience of a friend, if these were not separate variety of objects. Why would the poor consciousness, which is a boring, homogeneous awareness, why would it have different experiences? The answer is, all those experiences are entirely possible within consciousness itself by projecting various forms and appearing to come in contact with them, it gets a variety of experiences. Same consciousness projected through the eyes gets the experience of seeing. Same consciousness projected through the mind and the ears, experience of hearing and so on. Uh, And through the mind alone, experience of thinking, feeling, desiring, hating, loving, same consciousness, it does not require a real external object. You might say it requires an apparent external object. It requires an apparent mithya external object. So the mind is coming in contact with its uh, own projections. See, first it was said there is nothing apart from consciousness with which consciousness is coming in contact. Now you are saying, now the objection is, You admit that there are appearances. So the consciousness is coming in contact with appearances. Just like it may be that um, when you are seeing a movie, they really, the uh, actors and uh, the uh, hero, villain and all the car chases, those things are not really there. They are only pictures. But at least you are coming in contact with the pictures, isn't it? in a movie, otherwise you would not see the movie also. Same thing with consciousness, so you are coming in contact with appearances, that much you must say, at least the appearances exist, he says no, Um, in the case of movie they seem to exist apart from you, but in the case of consciousness, when you take the perspective of consciousness, those appearances are also nothing apart from consciousness. What are those appearances made of, if that is difficult to understand, very easy example is dream. In the dream, there are no external people or things. Um, But if somebody says, but in the dream, there are dream objects, dream people are there. So the dreamer's mind comes in contact with dream objects and dream people, as if there is some contact is there. But no, the answer will be the dream objects and dream people are nothing but the dreamer's mind. So, just like the water and the wave, clay and the pot, dreamer's mind, Cannot come in contact with dream objects and dream people because they don't exist apart from the dreamer's mind. Okay, this is the answer. One more, and then we will uh, take uh, a short break to answer the objections or questions which have been raised. Now the realist comes back with a counterattack. So see, these are all little samples of the fierce debates which were going on. Fierce debates were going on there between. Um, Nayayikas, Vaisheshikas on one hand, and uh, the sautrantikas Vaibhashikas, Vigyanavadis, Shunyavadis on the other hand, uh, Mimamsakas. Uh, this subjective idealist Vasubandhu, he writes a book to, to show that everything is mind only. And the great Bhatta, uh, you know, Mimamsaka, he wrote a book um, which uh, refuted which refuted uh, all those uh, uh, objections of uh, of Vasubandva, the Buddhist mind-only philosopher. Uh, I saw, I know this because I had to write a paper on the whole thing in, at Harvard this time. Uh, what is the position of the subjective idealist and what is the, how did Kumarila refute, Kumarila Bhatta refute them. And I found that there is a book about this, um, uh, I forget the name, I have got it. Uh, 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 an ex-student of Harvard philosophy department several decades ago. He took the uh, entire arguments of uh, Vasubandhu and Kumari Labatta and made a very exciting little book about it, you know, like a gladiatorial battle between uh, these philosophi- philosophical schools. Anyway, now, so counter attack from the realist, realist is not so fast, wait, here is the counter attack. Um, how will you distinguish between true knowledge and false knowledge? See, somebody sees a snake by mistake and then you show that there is no snake outside, outside there is only a rope. So correct knowledge is, it is a rope. Your favorite example, oh Advaitin, though Advaitin here is hiding behind the Vigyanavadi. So uh, there is a rope outside and now you say, oh correct knowledge is, it is a rope. False knowledge is, it is a snake. But if according to you, oh subjective idealist, everything is internal, then what is the difference between correct knowledge and false knowledge? Do you see? Only because there is a real rope outside and I can experience it, then I can correct my mistake. I thought it was a snake, now I carefully look outside, real rope, mentally, error snake. I correct the error and I say outside rope, mentally and now I know it is a rope, this is correct knowledge. Earlier what was there? Outside rope, mentally I thought it was a snake, wrong knowledge. But you subjective idealist, my dear fellow, how will you uh, distinguish because for, for you there is nothing outside. <laughs> how will you distinguish between correct knowledge of rope and false knowledge of snake? And then the answer from the subjective idealist we will see. 27. Sada Chittam. sansprishat. Um, let me translate, I am taking Swami gambhiranjis translation. So the answer to this objection, what was the objection? Uh, the appearance of consciousness in the form of a jar for instance even when there is no jar must be a false perception, this is Shankaracharya's commentary. So, you, sh- you idealist should point out that how will you distinguish between right knowledge and error? The answer is this. Consciousness does not ever come in contact with external objects in all three states. There being no external objects, how can there be any baseless false apprehension of it? So, this is a subtle answer. What is the answer? Answer is this. Your whole objection does not hold for us. What is your what is your understanding, O oh, realist, of the difference between error and uh, true knowledge? Your understanding of true knowledge is, outside there is a the rope and inside in your mind you understand it to be a rope, you will say correct knowledge. Outside there is a rope, but in your mind you understand it to be a snake, you will say incorrect knowledge. But in our uh, philosophy, we have just shown that there is no outside inside; It is all in the mind. So this difference between um, false knowledge or error and true knowledge based on the existence of external things, that difference does not apply to us, how you know? Suppose somebody sees a snake and you go and correct him, look carefully, there is a rope, you had an error, it is not a snake, it is a rope and that person says, oh I see, now I have corrected myself, it is not a snake, it a, is a rope. And Next moment, you wake up and sit up in the bed. Now what happened? That person, your friend, and the rope that person saw, and the mistake that person made about the rope and the snake, that um, error, the correct knowledge, the rope, the erroneous snake, the person who made the error and who got the correct knowledge, the whole thing is in your mind. When you wake up, you see the whole phenomena was in your mind. Will you say... Um, uh, error was corrected into correct knowledge? No. There was no rope outside there. There was no no uh, really error about a snake at all. So, this whole issue about your correcting error that works only if there are external objects and you make mistakes about those external objects for us. So, what is uh, error in uh, Vigyanavada in subjective idealism? Actually, their uh, their idea of error is what is internal is misunderstood to be external, what is internal is misunderstood to be external, that is the only error, that is the major error. We think I am this bag of skin and bones and outside this skin there are other things, other people, this is the world and I am inhabiting and interacting in this world, suffering and enjoying, mostly suffering, so this is, uh, this is the reality. This whole thing is an error according to vijñānavāda so, he rejects your category of error and truth. Now, with this much, um, Vijnavada has refuted the sautrantika Vaibhashika, the I- idealist, subjective idealist is taken to have refuted the realist. Now, he happily turns to Advaita, Gaudapada. Gaudapada says, now I am going to take care of you. Um, so, even you are wrong, this is, <laughs> this is a subjective, it will be will be totally smashed now. So, before that, let us t- quickly take, jayant can you tell us, who is asking questions? Um, Grish, you are next.
2: Yes, uh, uh, my question is, uh, you know, modern science deals entirely with realism. Huh. And uh, uh, has idealism in any form been, been subject to scientific inquiry, or for that matter, can it withstand scientific inquiry in terms of experimentation and repeatability and all that yet what we're talking about mostly here are thought experiments yeah uh, uh, you know snake and rope and all that right but is 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 there is is there any movement at all that you know of that or talk about that is where uh, scientific principles are applied to idealism of any kind
0: um the answer is in modern thought from say 18th, 19th century onwards with the overwhelming development of science and technology and the increasing prestige of science and technology, uh, philosophy in the West took a big beating. And, and so the scientific perspective is a realist perspective. Um, that's how science functions. Uh, so uh, the, if you see in Western philosophy, It is realism which is uh, in favor in the last 200 years, uh, last 100, little more than 100 years. Uh, So, the last great idealists in Western philosophy were like Hegel uh, and in England, T.H. Green, um, what's his name, Um, Our uh, Bradley, appearance and reality, Bradley. And by the end of 19th century, they were gone. So, from early 20th century onwards, Bertrand Russell and others dominated, uh, who were realists, uh, who bought philosophy in absolutely, they wanted it to be in tune with scientific perspective, science scientific worldview. So, the idealistic perspective sort of was downplayed, uh, but it did not entirely disappear. I was surprised, just recently I discovered there was an idealist at, uh, in uh, was a product of Oxford, uh, TLS Prig, let me write down the name in uh, the chat. You will see. Um, yes, theories of everything. I am reading that book too. Then I did not write. Just show that book. Others can see. Uh, yes. Just say something, so the picture will shift to you. Yeah. Can you see it now? Others, you can. You can.
3: Uh,
0: Give a, give a thumbs yes. up.
3: Yeah, bring it back a little bit. Go back a little bit.
0: Yeah, that's it. Oh, uh, that's uh, much so uh, are you reading it now, uh, Girish?
3: Yes, I just got it today.
0: Oh, I have been reading it also. I was amazed to see, there is another book he has written, which is about the triumph of ab- absolute idealism. He was a fully com- com- convinced idealist and he said, uh, from from his perspective, science is compatible with idealism. Um, going back one step, your actual question was, can we scientifically validate either idealism or realism? Uh, it, uh, realism seems to be compatible with science, but can we scientifically have a test? No. Actually, when you think about it, there is really no way of testing. Um, you know, like uh, Bill Bill Conrad, again and again, he objects to idealism. So, he thinks idealism and Advaita are same. Now, in this verse, you will see Gaudapada will reject idealism also. Uh, It's very interesting, Uh, Advaita is fully compatible with realism and idealism and it actually rejects both of them. Uh, But anyway, so what are the uh, experiments he suggests? For example, Bill suggests, but I'll show you why they don't work. Um, The classic one was uh, Samuel Johnson. So Samuel Johnson uh, of the Dictionary fame. So when he was uh, told about George Berkeley's philosophy of subjective idealism, that everything is in the mind. Uh, existence of things is their perception only, essayist um, percepi. Then do you see how interesting it is in the in the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna also this thing is being discussed. <laughs> Berkeley and subjective idealism. So anyway, so uh, Samuel Johnson's reply was he kicked a rock and he said I refute it thus. Here is the solid here is the solid rock. How can you say it's an idea? i'm kicking it see i feel it. it it hurts my toe so it's so solid the answer to that from the idealist perspective any one of us can immediately give you could exactly do the same thing in a dream and it would not be uh, real out there out apart from the mind that does not prove anything uh, bill conrad he suggested a more complicated experiment he said suppose swami we leave a camera on in this room and then we we'll walk out of the room all of us human beings and then we come back and we examine the film on the camera, it will show everything still existed. Sofa, chair, fan, light, all was the still there. So without anybody observing it, the things are there. It's not like a dream. If you don't th- see the things in your dream, they disappear. Your dream, if you do not see it, it will disappear. But the external world, even if you don't see it, even none of us see it also, it's still there. The answer to this is a little more complicated, but it works from Advaita or even Vijnavad, point of view. What they will say, the vigyanvadi will say, Ah, but this entire experiment you performed, including walking out of the room, coming back to the room, examining the film of the camera, all of this is in your mind. It, for example, the whole thing could have been a dream also. How would you know? Uh, you would have to have an experiment where there are no minds at all. And yet, there is clear proof of an ex- external world. Uh, and at no stage, beginning, middle or end, a mind is involved. But that is impossible. By definition, who would be, how would, we are minds we need the proof to come to us. And once it comes to us, it is in the mind. That is why there is a standard joke in philosophy departments about mind and matter. Um, there is the question, so what is the real? Is matter real or is mind is real? That is the whole old fight between subjective idealism and realism. The joke is, uh, what is mind? No matter. What is matter? Never mind. So <laughs> that is the old, old joke in philosophy departments. Um, This T. L. Sprigg, so he wrote another book, uh, Triumph for uh, 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 Idealism. In this book also, it's a very good book, Theories of Existence. He has taken, I think, 10 or 12 theories, very, very well written. Of course, maybe it's a little too my way of thinking, so I like it very much. But I I liked it. Um, And he says clearly that out of these 10 theories, I think he has given 10 or 12 theories. One is materialism, and the rest are all idealistic theories. (laughs) Uh, And he gives a very deep uh, searching analysis of this and he says how only idealism actually works so it's really worth reading that book. It's a very nice book the other book triumph of absolute idealism is actually an even deeper book i found a copy in the amazon on and you will see though it's very expensive even secondhand copies i found a copy in the new york public library i read the first chapter but it will take a lot of hard work that book is very deep um our Professor Arindam Chakravati, he studied at Oxford under Professor uh, Strawson, P. F. Strawson, so Peter Strawson. So I asked him, Did you ever meet a person called T. L. S. Sprigg when you went to study as a student in the 70s, 80s? Uh, and Arindam Chakravati was so excited. Said, of course, he was an extraordinary person. Uh, when I had just got married at that time, and I and my wife we went and stayed at his house. He was our host, and he was he was absolutely crazy about Advaita Vedanta. Amazing, I didn't know that. Arindam Chakrabarty told me. And he said he visited India. He came and stayed in the Institute of Culture in Gold Park. He met Swami Lokeshwarananda. And he was, his main question was that how is Shankara also a devotee? I understand the Advaita Vedanta of Shankara, but how is he devoted to God? This combination. And in India he would go to a Shiva temple and sit and meditate. So all this is about TLS TLSP. I didn't know all this. Arindam Chakrabarty told me. Okay. So this is the... Um, state of idealism and uh, realism let's see who else giant you're next
1: you're up I can speak now Bill yes well I would say supposing that we took a picture of the pot and then we uh, it had water in it and we dumped the water out and we took a picture of that and uh, uh, if would you could you uh, at all say that that was all in the mind
0: well if you took a picture and you saw the picture and you see the water and the pot so obviously what you are seeing is in your mind right if it was not in your mind you wouldn't see it what you are asking is It is in the mind, you have to admit it, but is it there outside also? That's the question, isn't it?
1: Well, yes, but I mean, dumping the water out of the pot is in the outside. Yes. It's not an interpretation. I can feel the water, say, on my uh, foot or whatever. Yes.
0: The answer would be pretty simple. I mean, both George Berkeley and the, the Buddhist subjective idealists 2,000 years ago, they would say, "Is this this whole thing? Is it possible in your dreams?" And you would have to admit, "Yes, I could have dreamt the whole thing." And then, there, though there seemed to be water outside, it wouldn't be true. There would be no water outside.
1: But, but supposing I had uh, uh, electrodes on my brain, yes, uh, while while I was doing all these things, yes, and uh, I could uh, say. Something that I was obviously uh, observing—something happening. I mean, I assume that you can make that distinction of uh, when the uh, uh, when the brain is quiet, there are no, there should be no uh, electrical signals from it. would
0: uh, refute the idea that it was a dream would it would it be possible to conduct this entire experiment in your dream and when you wake up we would say oh all the electrodes and the guys in white lab coats and the results printed out and all the proofs and demonstrations of brain activity were something that i dreamt about <laughs> see there's no way of there's no way of refuting this actually um, uh, I mean, you can't jump out of your own skin to use Swami Vivekananda's uh, uh, language. Uh, in fact, uh, in Western, in, in philosophy, they call it the standing scandal of philosophy. I think you can't use these words. The standing scandal of philosophy is that you can't refute idealism. <laughs> there is no uh, way of refuting. Alright, we'll move on. Bill has had this question for 95 years, or at least 60 of his 95 years. So... Uh, it's not going to be settled so easily. Next. you're uh, next. Uh,
4: the question is regarding Shloka or Mantra 22. Which yes. Last time you had said, Godfather said six things here nothing is created from yeah. nothing, from something. And he also says, how can something that is non existent come into existence? Yes. Or a mixture of existence and non-existence come into existence. Yes. But that is exactly what the idealists are saying,
1: right?
4: What? Something like, for example, even Gaudapada says, using the three stages, hmm. that in your deep sleep there is nothing. Yes. And yet, it is considered a bija state. Yes. It is non-existent. There yes. is nothing there in that. Yeah. But the waking and dreaming and everything comes from there. Yes. So. When Gaudapada himself says that existing things or even apparent things come from non-existent, mm. why does he bring these six arguments? I mean, it sounds very good, six good arguments. Yes. But why does he even say it when it, when on a little bit of thought it appears wrong?
0: Right. Actually, this is Gaudapada's position. And when you say from the, dream, the deep sleep state emerges the dream and the waking, all the variety, you know. But Gaurapal is in fact attacking that. Do they really emerge or only appear to emerge? What emerges from the deep sleep as your dream and into the waking world uh, which we are experiencing are they real happenings? Is, Even if they
4: are not real they yes. appear from non-existence.
0: Not non-existence, from the unmanifest. The deep sleep is the unmanifest. Not from, it's not non-existence. From the unmanifest, it becomes manifest. But whether unmanifest or, or manifest, from abhyakta to vyakta, uh, the Sankhya would say something is really happening, from pralaya to srishti, something is, so prakriti is being transformed into this world. What Gorupada says, it's only apparent, because prakriti is not real.
3: Uh,
0: that which was unmanifest is unreal, that which becomes manifest from the unmanifest, that's also unreal. Therefore, this becoming, this causality, the unmanifest state is cause, Ishwara. And the manifest state is um, your Hiranyagarbha and Virat. Uh, all of that is an appearance of what? Then what is there? Then what is there? Turiya is there. Uh, yes, which is ni- neither cause nor effect. If you say something is happening at some level, then you are into causality. And Godapada's whole attack is on causality. So remember the six things he said. Um, how is a thing born? From itself. From something else or from a mixture of itself and something else. From an existing thing, from a non-existing thing or from a mixture of an existing and non-existing. And he goes on to show none of these six alternatives are possible. So there is nothing that is born. His favorite thesis of Ajati, unborn, nothing is born. In fact, it is good you raise this because Godapada God is now going to use it to smash Vijnanavada. Alright, any uh, questions? Yes.
4: Yeah, it is a similar question only Swamiji, so when on the transactional level when we say Brahman is eternal, we are accepting time. Yes. And when we say Brahman is like all pervading, we accept space. So, in our understanding does Brahman gives existence to possession?
0: True, gives means uh, it is all borrowed existence and remember in Advaita Vedanta, borrowed existence is Mithya falsity. So, that's why we say the world is, world including space, time and causation are false. So, as you said, an important point you pointed out, that we say Brahman is eternal, Turiya, Atman, eternal. And in fact, the, the fourth Buddhist, the Shunyavadi, they attack uh, Advaitins on this very ground. They say there are two things which are false. One is nihilism, nothing exists. Buddha never taught that. The other one is eternalism. There is a God or something, Purusha or Prakriti or Brahman, which is eternally existing. That is also false. Now, so that is what Advaita says, No, only by accepting time, we speak about eternity. Why? Because to to remove the misconception that that Brahman is something that is born and dies. Everything else is non-eternal. But actually Brahman is beyond time. You cannot speak about the eternity of you know, what eternity? What comes to our mind that there is a something which exists for all times, throughout time it exists. It's a very long-lasting thing. It, it was there earlier. It's there now. It keeps on going on and on and on. No, not at all. Time appears in Brahman. Brahman is beyond time. They say time eats everything according to Vedanta. Everything is eaten by him. Whatever you see in this world. All that is beloved to you, all that you like, dislike, everything is eaten by time. And the Buddhists call it impermanence. Nothing, none of this will exist, none of this will will uh, um, will tarry, all of this disappears. Anityam, anityam, sarvam anityam. So in contrast to that, Brahman is said to be eternal. Uh, but Brahman is actually not eternal in that sense. In Vedanta we say, Brahman is that which eats up time also. Time having eaten everything, thinking which is a very powerful, turns to Brahman and Brahman eats up time. Okay. Because in the, what does it mean? Brahman transcends time. We do not mean Brahman is actually ultimately eternal in time. So is Brahman all pervading? You have accepted space, then only you say Brahman is all pervading. But what it really means, if you go to the original Taittiriya Upanishad, Satyam Jnanam Anantam Brahman, Anantam means limitless. So space is not something that can limit Brahman. Time is not something that can limit Brahman. Brahman transcends space and time. Brahman is everything we say. Sarvam kalvidam Brahman. That's also not true. That's only by accepting everything we are saying Brahman is everything. Uh, There is no everything. Uh, If you say, you the dreamer, you are, suppose somebody says, you dreamt of so many people. All those people are in your mind. If somebody says, then you are the sum total of all those people. Say, no, no, not sum total, I am only me. I am poor old me, all those people are not. This was the big uh, subtle point that Swami Vivekananda pointed out. Mary Hale, the American disciple, she wrote a poem to Swami Vivekananda saying that, I have understood what you have taught, you have taught all is God. Swami Vivekananda wrote back in a poem saying that I have never taught such queer doctrine that all is God, that strange doctrine that all is God, I have never taught that. She was stunned, you yourself said it, that all is God. This is what I meant. Of course, he always many times he has said everything is God. But this is what I mean is, God only is. All is not. Hmm. It's not that there are lots of things and that you add them all up and you get God. No. Hmm. And not even that. See, dualistic view is, there are lots of things and there is one more great thing called God. That's dualism. Vishishtadvaita is, there are lots of things, all of them taken together is God. Advaita is, there are no lots of things, the only God is. Existence belongs to God only. And What about me? So you are that God. <laughs> That's the great thing about Advaita. Good point. Hold on to this. Let's dispense with that um, pesky subjective idealist. And then we will uh, take up the other questions. Now, what is Gaudapada going to do with the subjective idealist? Let us see. Tasmana jayate chittam, Chittadrisham najayate, Tasya pasyanti ye jatim, Khevai pasyanti te padam. This is verse number 27. No, 28. Verse number 28. Hence, consciousness has no birth and things perceived by it do not pass into birth. Those who perceive the birth of that consciousness may as well see the footmarks in space itself. What is he saying here? What Anandaji just mentioned earlier, the 22nd verse. Those six ways in which a thing can come into being and he shows consciousness cannot come into being in any of those six ways. Consciousness is not born. Why does he say this? Now we have to ask the question, what is the difference between the subjective idealist, Vijnanavadi and Advaitin? Both seem to be saying the same thing, consciousness is all, consciousness is the reality, everything else appears in consciousness. Then what is the difference between them and us? Huge difference, very big difference. Because of the similarity, you need to refute these people carefully. They are subjective idealists. Advaita Vedanta is not a subjective idealist. Advaita Vedanta is not saying that you are imagining this world in your, in your mind. Uh, um, so, what is the difference? What they are saying is, the Vijnavadi, consciousness is all, is the reality. There is no external world apart from consciousness. But, this consciousness is momentary. Advaita Vedanta says, this consciousness is changeless. It is neither born, nor does it die, uh, nor does it change. So, changeless, birthless, deathless, consciousness. Uh, pure consciousness. That is the uh, claim of Advaita Vedanta. But uh, what these people are saying is consciousness is not only um, born; it is born and it dies, and it's continuously born and dying, moment to moment to moment. Consciousness is born, exists for exactly one moment, and then dies, and then another consciousness is born and it dies. It's called Kshanika vigyanadhara, stream of consciousness. That's become a big thing in modern literature stream of consciousness. Uh, That very phrase was used by these uh, subjective idealists nearly 2000 years ago, Vasubandhu and others. Our reality is a stream of consciousness and there is nothing apart from that stream of consciousness. So look at what we experience, sights, sounds right now. When you are experiencing even uh, what I am saying word, 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 meaning, 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 they are flashing together and you put together a sentence at one point, then start the next sentence, they are all coming one after another and they are all instantaneous flashes. So a difference might be the unchanging floodlight uh, or like the sunlight, that would be an Advaitic idea of consciousness and this strobe light, flashing strobe light, you know like it flashes second to second to second like flickering light, that is the idea of the Vijnanavadi. You know actually why they say that? Uh, They say that because they, at least that is what our analysis is, they fail to distinguish between consciousness and mind. Notice here again and again for consciousness they are indiscriminately using the word chittam. Normally the word chittam in Vedanta is used for mind, chit is used for consciousness. Here again and again chittam is being used for consciousness. What they say is that, there is a continuous stream of cognition instants. Kshanika Vijnana Dhara. What is a cognition instant? Flower, you know, like red shape. That is my cognition. So that is the vritti in the mind and it is lit up by consciousness. This packet, packet is a good word. This packet, which has this dual aspect, awareness and a content. Awareness, content, packet, it comes for a, for a moment. Next moment, I smell the fragrance. Fragrance, content, and awareness. Awareness, smell, and the awareness of that smell, that's the next flash. And so on. It takes time to say it, but in real life, it, it is very, very fast. And Buddhists say that in meditation, you can slow down your mind till you perceive the, each instant of uh, changing awareness. And they say this is the ultimate nature of consciousness instantaneous consciousness, momentary consciousness, transient consciousness, they will say to us, "Oh, Advaitin, Pedantin, we agree with you, consciousness is the ultimate reality. Only thing is, if you agree that consciousness is born and it dies, then we agree with you. That is something that we never agree with. We say, you are making a mistake. It is the vritti, the cognition which is born and dying. Moment to moment, because of the activities of senses and minds, you are getting lots of vrittis. Instantaneous vrittis are coming and going, flashing in and out. That is true, you are right so far, Vijnanavadi. But the consciousness which lights up those vrittis, that is a separate thing. In uh, my terms I would say, the Vijnanavadi has not completed Dhridrishya Viveka. You have to push it to the limit, to have the idea of a pure subjective awareness. Which then there is no change. In fact logically there can be no change. Because if there is a change. uh, uh, Who or what will note that change. I will come to that. Um, That is the way Shankaracharya refutes these Vijnavadis. But the central argument against Vijnavadis. Is given by Gaudapada. Earlier already. Consciousness cannot be born. You are saying consciousness is born. Dies. Born. Dies. Born. Dies. Consciousness 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 and so on. In a continuous stream. Huh? How is it born? Is it born from consciousness? Is it born from non-consciousness? Mixture of consciousness, non-consciousness? Is it born from something existing, from something non-existing, from something existing and non-exist? Each of those options is not possible. Birth and death of consciousness is impossible. So, it is actually constant consciousness, uh, unchanging consciousness, lighting up all this. And all of this as you, Vigyanavadi, have said, that part we agree, it is all within consciousness. I like this beautiful phrase by Aurobindo, Sri Aurobindo. So These things show that uh, the person who has written such poetry must have uh, deep spiritual insight. He says in one place, the world drowned in the white glare of an immortal gaze. The world drowned, that means all the objects, gross and subtle. Drowned, as if they have been drowned in an ocean. What kind of ocean is it? White glare. Look at the words. Like a constant, intense light. Infinite light. I mean, intense. Of an immortal gaze. Imagine an eye. <laughs> which is glaring at the world. And the entire world is drowned. in. Uh, every Hindu puja starts with this. Divi vachakshu Conceive of God as, a, as the eye, a sky like eye, um, which is luminous in the sky, which shines upon everything. And that which it shines upon is not different from the glare of that eye. That immortal glare is what you are, is what we are. And it can be experienced. Once you experience it, it's done forever. It's always there for you. So here Shankaracharya comments... The Vijnanavadi says that kshanikattva um, anatmatvadi um, Consciousness is momentary, kshanikattva, It is subject to sorrow. Shunyatva, it is empty. anatmatva, there is no self in consciousness. Empty of self. These are the claims of the vijnanavadi Buddhist. It is not true. Uh, you have to separate consciousness and mind to understand it. And he says... Those who think that consciousness is born and dies, who are they? Vigyanavadis. It is as good as trying to find, it gives an example of impossibility. Birds are flying in the sky, trying to trace the footprints of those birds. Impossible. They leave no footprints at all. And then Shankaracharya goes further. He just touches upon the Shunyavadi, the last of the four. Remember, four Buddhist groups, Sautranthika, Vaibhashika, vijnanavadi Shunyavadi. Godapada does not touch. But um, Shankaracharya here mentions the Shunyavadi. Just in passing, he says the other one, Apare, he says Shunyavadinaha, Those who are, the our professor Patil in Harvard used to call them the emptiness people, now come the emptiness people. Those who are the emptiness people, Sarva Shunyatam, who see the emptiness of all things, not only external world but also the internal subject. Sarva Darshanasyapi Shunyatam, Pratijanate, Te api Sahasika, They are even more crazy than these Vijnanavadis. Why? These people are at least trying to see the footprints of birds in the sky. These people, the the uh, Shunyavadis, that they are trying to grasp the sky with their hands. They're they are so crazy. Now, he does not refute them here, but there are different ways in the Advaitins in which Advaitins have refuted. For example, in um, Panchadashi. Uh, though it is not the topic here, I will just mention it and let it go, because just for the sake of completion, let's refute all the Buddhists. Uh, to the annoyance of <laughs> Buddhists, not so easy. huh? Um, sort of half humorously, Vidyaranya Swami in Panchadashi, when he comes to the topic of the Shunya Shunyavadi, he gives arguments against them, but then he gives this very nice argument just like this. He says, in every debate in ancient India, you had the Vadi and Prativadi. Wadi Vadi means the one who holds on to a thesis. Prativadi means who controverts or attacks that thesis. So you have to have these two positions. Siddhanta and Purvapaksha. Siddhanta means your established thesis. And the Purvapaksha is the opponent. Now, according to you, O Shunyavadi, entire world is empty, emptiness. Sarvam Shunyam, yes. You too, the subject, subject is also empty. Yes, there is no subject, there is no object. If the subject is empty, then you, the opponent, you are empty too. If you are empty, you do not exist. If you do not exist, I need—whom will I debate with? I did not refute you. You don't exist. You have yourself proven that you don't exist. So I did not need not debate with you. In the absence of, in the in the emptiness of the opponent, there is no need to give a reply. So that is—he's uh, just being sort of facetious, I think, a little bit. Uh, of course, very sophisticated debates are there, and this is not—I will tell you—I spent. Um, uh, sort of intense three months studying this position, the Shunyavada position. When I would enter the class, the professor would say, Swami, leave your Advaita out of this. <laughs> and then we enter into this. So, uh, Shunyavada, actual position of Nagarjuna and the Shunyavadins, is a very well thought out, very deep and profound philosophy, very close to Advaita actually. Um, so, it is not as simple as the way we, we sort of summarily dismissed it here. That brings to an end the Godapada's engagement with uh, Buddhism uh, or at least the schools of Buddhism. Next he will now um, remind us of the central message of Advaita by his again the same thing by attack on causality which we have done in second chapter, third chapter, but he will sort of review it, okay let us quickly deal with the remaining observations questions, Jayant. Uh, Pranam Maharaj. Namaskar.
2: So I had a question about mind. Huh. Uh, when we talk about something as appearing, we must have experienced it at least. Yes. But uh, mind is such a thing that we never experience directly. Because we only all that we experience is either some gross sense perceptions huh. or thoughts which are subtle. Just because certain thoughts are there, we assume there is a subtle body or there is a chitta.
0: Actually, I would stop you right there. Um, Both the Vijnanavadis, Advaitins, and also some of the realists would say the only thing you directly experience is mind. Even from a scientific perspective, uh, the gross perceptions sound, sight, smell, taste, touch right? If you actually trace them step by step physiologically, at one point you will see it comes to the sense organs, then it comes down to you know neurotransmitters, little bursts of electricity in nerve endings. Then if you ask the subject, that person will report sight, sound, smell, taste already have gone into the level of mind. The first thing that a person experiences is not the physical burst of electricity, is actually uh, something mental
2: understand that like after the brain we say it has gone into the mind yeah my question was that we don't experience the mind directly in the sense that we only infer it based on the fact that there are certain thoughts we are experiencing or some thoughts are intelligent so we assume there is an intellect there is there is an I thought so we assume there is an ego there are some thoughts about past remembrances so we assume there is a memory but I don't experience my memory directly, like I cannot see my memory directly and see what is stored in the memory for example, so if there is a subtle body appearing, why can I not experience it directly is the question that uh, I was trying to ask.
0: I don't really understand your…
2: logical word we use to Mm -hmm. describe the container of all.
0: Do you directly experience the body? Do you directly experience the body and sense perceptions? Or do you directly experience, if you you point to the body, I will say, no, no, this is a cell, this is a hand, this is an eye, where is the body? You see, body is just this, this conglomeration of parts which is acting together. So, mind is just this, this lake of thoughts, of vrittis, a variety of vrittis. So, then, if it is
2: just a set of vrittis, then that, goes away whenever a vritti goes away and then why are we worried about its, uh, like I know at the absolute level there is no bondage or liberation, but yeah. even at the mind level why are we worried about its bondage and liberation because your mind is just a stream of thoughts, yeah. the thought actually go away.
0: One thought goes away, others come, that is why we say that there is a mind, it is not that one thought is the mind. Uh, just as one drop of water is not the river, so river is a stream of uh, drops of water. So the vrittis are continuously there. That's why you talk about a mind. Even when you restrain the vrittis in samadhi, even when somebody falls asleep in sushupti, the mind is still there. There is no vritti at all. Still the mind is there because it comes back. So you have to admit it exists in a non-active, non-kinetic state, in an unmanifest state. Because everything, all thoughts, feelings, emotions, memories, tendencies, they all come back when you wake up. So what is that?
2: So you are saying mind is nothing but this stream of vritti.
0: Yeah, but I mean that's, no, I am not saying that. I am saying that there is a mind. Because without the stream of vrittis, when it is in seed form, after death when it goes into seed form and transmigrates, that's still the mind. In deep sleep when it goes into a seed form, that's still the mind. But there are no obvious, no vrittis there. I mean obviously no vrittis are there. But it's still the potentiality is there. So you have to admit a mind. You see, not Directly We are not experiencing, directly you are experiencing the vrittis. Then... Yes.
2: I put my question in the chat, so if you want to read along. Um, how do idealists deal with intersubjective agreement? If the world were a fabrication of individual minds, right. then there should be as many radically different worlds as there are minds, yeah. as with dreams. So it seems that the world must be a fabrication of universal mind, which we all share or which we all are.
0: Yes. Okay. Um, This was a subject, which uh, a question which was raised in the second chapter, Vaitathya where Gaudapada uses his uh, uh, dream example. You know, whenever such questions come up, just think, what would Gaudapada say? And it's very easy to think what he would say, because he will immediately bring up the example of a dream. Now imagine, so here, what is the question he's asking? Here, we we are sitting in a room and we see the same thing. You're all sitting in different rooms, but you see Swami. Um, So... All the subjects in this Zoom discussion agree that there is Swami because we intersubjectively agree. So this must be real. But if you were dreaming and you dreamt of um, uh, some person, uh, uh, you know, meeting some person and then afterwards when you you wake up and you say nobody else saw that, uh, then you have to say it was a dream, it was not real. That's what we say, common sense, the way way we do it. That's how we make the distinction between imagination and actual perception. Between dream and waking, what would Godopadhyaya say? He said, "You are making a mistake. In your dreams, in the dream paradigm, there is intersubjective ag- agreement. In your dreams, you are there, your friends are there, people are there, and you are enjoying a cup of coffee. And nobody there claims that oh, there is no intersubjective ag- agreement, and there must be this must be a dream then. No, everybody sees the same cup of coffee, and uh, they are uh, enjoying the same you know game or something like that." And it feels like a waking world. It feels that there are subjects and there are objects and there is intersubjective agreement about those objects. And it seems in every way like a reasonable world. It does not seem very illogical in the dream itself. Do you see what I'm driving at?
3: I think so. Um, Maybe not. (laughs) Certainly not as clearly as you see
0: it. When you wake up and you... See, what Gaudapada would object to is... You are waking up, looking at the dream world and saying that there is a discrepancy between what I saw in the dream and all the subjects, my friends in this waking world, they didn't see it. That's why it's a dream. But what Gaurapada is saying, imagine the dream itself. In the dream, was there intersubjective discrepancy? Those waking friends, were they there in the dream? No, only the people, in all the subjects, they were subjects in the dream itself. You were a subject in your own dream and there were other people in your dream. And they all seem to get along very well and function very well in a world they agreed upon.
2: So can we ask, whose dream is this?
0: Ah, here, in this case, uh, whose dream is it? It's the dreamer's dream. If you say there's a cosmic dreamer, then you come to, you know, the um, you know like the Hiranyagarbha, the cosmic mind, which dreams of the structures of this entire world. That's why I say that the Vedan Advaitin is not a subjective idealist. The Advaitin is not arguing like the Buddhist that this world is your uh, uh, projection. The Buddhist says this world is your projection. And the Buddhist complicates matters by saying there are many people. And then how is their <laughs> intersubjective agreement if everybody is projecting it. So it, they will go into convolutions and show that a lot of these mind streams flowing in parallel and those ones which have the same kind of karma tend to experience a similar world. Um, not bad. I mean, for example, if all of us enter the same virtual reality, there are no objects and yet we agree that we are seeing the same kind of virtual reality. If you bought the tickets for this world show in 2020, 2020, (laughs) we will all see, we will agree that there is the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. So that way. So there is this cosmic dreamer and cosmic dreamer and that's why Narayan or Vishnu in Hindu iconography, he is a couch potato. He is always there on his cosmic serpent and he is sleeping and dreaming. Dreaming the universe of this world. Hmm.
2: So Advaita would agree that there is some cosmic dreamer?
0: Yeah, but again, God from Gaudapada's perspective, false. Okay. It's there, but it's, that's also a projection. The only thing that there is, is you, the consciousness. What Gaudapada would say is, you know, it, um, I don't know if the occasion will come, but let me just mention this comes of asking why too much. Why is there this ordered worldly, ordered world, logically arranged world? There must be a cause to it. It's our intuitive feeling. When you have this strong feeling that that is the source of not only all science but also religion. Religion says because God made it so. And science investigates and finds causes. Godopada cuts at the very root of such thinking. He shows the idea of causality itself is false. This asking why will give you an answer. And that answer is of no use to you ultimately. Ultimately. Yeah. Alright. Uh, anybody else? Jayant? Uh, Abhijit, yes. I
3: had a uh, question about uh, the Vigyanamada, this stream of consciousness, this instantaneous flashes of consciousness. Yes. And uh, uh, the argument that consciousness is never born and is eternal. When we say this is eternal, we are using time in some respect to kind yeah. of say it is eternal. Yeah. And in our experience, only in the present, the the instantaneous flashes of consciousness that is the experience which you are getting. Yeah. So, we, both things can hold at the same time in the sense that in the experience there is instantaneous flash and it does not contradict the, the, the consciousness. True,
0: but it's instantaneous flash, if you look even more closely, um, so I did not go into the refutation of Vijnanavada. Uh, instantaneous flash is flash of consciousness or flash of thought. What is changing instantaneously? Thoughts, perceptions, feelings, cognitions, right? These are activities of sense organs and mind. But not of consciousness. Consciousness is a constant light which illumines all of this. This is the Advaitic position. The Vijnanavadi is saying that no, uh, each cognition comes with its, it's like a packet. It comes with its own burst of illumination. So the thought is there and it's, it's shining by its own light, it goes. Another thought comes, it is a very subtle uh, philosophy, very sophisticated and it is very close uh, in some ways to Advaita Vedanta, that is why we have to work closely on it. Let me give you one refutation which Shankara gives. You say there is a series of flashes of consciousness, C1, C2, C3, momentary consciousness. Who sees the series? Shankaracharya says. What is the proof of the existence of this series? There must be knowledge of the series, how will you see the series? The first consciousness cannot see the next one. Because it has not yet arrived. The next one cannot see the first one. Because the first one is gone. No consciousness can see the preceding and succeeding consciousnesses. How will you see the series? On what basis will you claim that there is a series? You have no uh, way of... And many more objections are raised. Not only by Shankaracharya. But by Nayayikas and uh, Mimamsakas. How does memory function? Uh, How does karma function? How does even language function? Because each consciousness hears only one word, say. Who hears the whole sentence? Who puts together the sentence to get the total meaning of a sentence? So, in linguistics, in memory, in karma, there are many objections which are raised to the Vijnanva, and they have answers also. So, it is the long process. The whole, the whole
3: uh, argument against it is this continuity. Again, its time is what they are not able to explain with this continuous, this instantaneous flashes
0: yes time, time. Uh, and gordopad's argument goes deeper he says you are saying consciousness is born and destroyed flash 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 of consciousness how and he says being born and destroyed means causality is there something caused the arising of consciousness something and then it died and caused the arising of the next consciousness so what what caused the arising of consciousness was it consciousness was it not consciousness and so on. Was it an existing thing, non-existing thing? You can find, never find this link.
3: But can it happen that in the experience we feel always like that it is the worst that... Right.
0: It seems to be, if you subtly think about it, the Vijnanavada seems to be almost the final thing that we can say. People keep asking me, if you think about it without Vedanta, you will end up with something like Vijnavada. Um, people keep asking me, So, why not say this is mind? Why are you saying one more thing called consciousness? It's the witnessing is also part of the mind, let us say. It's just the nature of the mind because it feels like the mind. I say say that actually you are unable yet to distinguish between consciousness and mind. There is a vast difference. You're not seeing it. That's why it seems to be the same thing. Uh, Buddhists will go so far as to say something come very close to the Atma idea. They say uh, it is... Uh, the real nature of the mind they will never say Atma that's absolutely taboo in Buddhism they say there is the mind and there is the real nature of the mind they use interesting words Um, pure light of the void okay one more thing flash of consciousness flash of consciousness going on but there are gaps in Samadhi there is a gap in deep sleep there is a gap so the gaps between two thoughts Advaita can explain because consciousness is shining on the gap on the blank. How will Vijanavada explain deep sleep and samadhi? Gap between two flashes. By what is it known? If it is not known, there won't be a gap. If there is no gap, it's continuous consciousness. If the gap between uh, two flashes is known, then there must be a continuous con- consciousness to know it. In either way, you have to admit conscious continuous consciousness. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Alright, we have really run out of time today. So next time again we'll take up Gaudapada's reiteration of the teachings of uh, of Mandukya, so that he will he's making sure we have not forgotten in all this Nyaya, Satkaryavada, Vada, Sankhya, Sautrantika, Vaibhashika we have, have we forgotten Advaita itself? <laughs> om Shanti 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 hari Om Sat. Sri Ramakrishna Rapa